Hello, wonderful listeners. Creating this platform is a labor of love influenced by my journey with stage three melanoma, which I was able to discover ways to improve my physical, mental, and spiritual health. Through this chapter, discovering a purpose to help individuals in a more direct way. By donating to Patreon, you're helping Wellness by Design Group to produce quality content, bring exciting guests, and improve the show. Your donations and contributions ensure that Wellness by Design Group can keep informative episodes coming and maintain a high standard we all love. We are all grateful for any and all that you do to help. Thank you. Welcome, friends, family, and guests to the Wellness by Design Group podcast. I'm your host, Rob Moffat. Wellness by Design Group would like to humbly welcome to our audience today, Dr. Sandy Colvard. With over 17 years of private practice and hospital experience, Dr. Colvard is an accomplished naturopathic physician specializing in integrative cancer care. Dr. Colvard believes in an integrative approach to cancer and has worked with some of the nation's top clinical and academic oncologists, as well as a myriad of alternative therapy providers and modalities. She believes there's no one-size-fits-all model to cancer. I just want to thank you for that first. You're welcome. Dr. Colvard uses research-based supplements and treatments to avoid drug interaction and limit the side effects. Dr. Colvard works seemingly with provider team of choice to curate the healing process that works for the individual. Currently working in both clinical practice and academia, Dr. Colvard works on -on one-on-one with cancer patients and cancer survivorship, leading cancer support groups, medical visits in Southern California. Prior to her current practice, Dr. Colvard served as the Director of Integrative Training for CHI Healthcare, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary, primary care clinic in the Washington, D.C. area. Dr. Colvard also served as a naturopathic physician at Cancer Treatment Centers of America hospitals in both Atlanta, Georgia, and Philadelphia, PA, treating patients in both outpatient and inpatient settings. There, she attained her board of certification as a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology, or as we know as VAPNO. Well, congrats and welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. for asking me to be here. Well, I, I wouldn't want any, better, any different. <laughs> um, as I said earlier, you and I have had this conversation many times, and yes, finally we're going to put a mic in between us and, and let others hear. Um, I think, first of all, I'd really like to get in some of your background okay. and really understand if you could tell us what led you to the naturopathic oncology direction. Well, or maybe even go back farther. Maybe you know what, what made me go into naturopathic medicine to yeah. begin with was uh, I was uh, doing my undergrad at Smith College, and I was a neuroscience major, and I thought I was going to go into neuroscience research. And then I realized that that meant that I was going to spend a majority of my time in a lab with brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I'm a people person, mm-hmm. and then it was at that time that I discovered naturopathic medicine. One of my professors. Um, told me about it. And so I did some research and I interviewed at several of the colleges and wanted to go to the one in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then so I went to the one in Arizona and I my plan was never to go into oncology, quite frankly. My plan was to do more like women's medicine, okay. um, looking at other types of health care, you know, pr- maybe some primary care work. 
And I just kept getting cancer patients Mm. coming to me. Mm. But prior to my time, the big thing for me, prior to my time going to naturopathic medical school, is that my mother was diagnosed with an unknown illness. Mm -hmm. And nobody... She had so many different diagnoses, and they were all wrong. Mm -hmm. And then in my first quarter of medical school, I got an emergency phone call that she had been rushed to the hospital... And by the time I got there, because uh, I was in Arizona and she was in Kentucky, mm. um, she had she was nonverbal. Her organs were shutting down, and it came out that what probably uh, caused my mother to die was a very rare lymphoma, mm. but we still don't know for sure. Sure. So when I graduated from medical school, I thought I don't want to have anything to do with cancer. You know, keep it away from me. And yet I just kept getting more and more patients coming to me. And then I received an opportunity to go to cancer treatment centers in Philadelphia. And I thought, well, it keeps coming up, so I might as well go. And uh, that was the start of it. I was at uh, CTCA for several years, almost five years, maybe longer. Mm. And, uh, And that's where I really dug in. Because that's all I saw every day was cancer patients. Yeah, that's I can imagine that um, plays a toll on you. Absolutely. You know, and um, but you know, you brought up the personal side, and you know, we'll get into this later more. But I'd want to say that it shows. Oh, thank you. You know, and I just remember working with you originally, and you know, you would just we just go in your office and talk. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we and it, there was no time limit. You know, we talked about that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's important in, in medical care that the doctors actually sit down and talk to their patients and yep. understand the patients. And I think that is a lost, I don't want to say art because it's not art. I think it's necessary. Right. I, I have to agree with you. I think that that's one of the things that drew me to naturopathic medicine in the first place was the time you know, I didn't want to go into tra- traditional medicine because I don't want somebody telling me I have 10 minutes to talk to somebody. How do you learn about somebody in 10 minutes? How do you understand what their their fears and their their hopes and dreams? And they have a cancer diagnosis, and they're, they're usually frightened. Right. So you've got to take the time to listen. And we forget sometimes to just... I used to teach at the medical school, and I would tell my, my students that... The primary thing when you're in the room with a patient is to shut up and listen and ask the right questions because the patient has things that they have to tell you. Right. Yeah, I agree. And then with your school and then their certification of FABNO, mm-hmm. maybe you want to talk about that certification sure. a little bit, what that means and what you took to get that. Right. It's, um, it's a very arduous process. Um, we had to see so many patients, so many cancer patients, and then write reports about you know the patients that we had seen. So we had uh, we had to have so many patient contacts in a year, and then write about some of the, the top. I think it was top twenty five uh, patients and what we did and what the diagnosis was and what the treatments were, et cetera, et cetera. And then after doing all of that. Um, we had to take a, an exam, and it was a very extensive, I think it was like a three-hour or so exam, mm-hmm. with not only naturopathic treatments of different cancers, but 
what is cancer? How you know? What's the mechanism of action of certain chemotherapy drugs? I mean, I mean, very much an oncology, like an oncologist. I don't know that every oncologist would have known all the answers. You know, mm-hmm. and my apologies to any oncologist that are that's listening. But uh, it was very extensive and very. It was a lot of work, and then yeah. studying a lot of the research and making sure that what we were doing was evidence-based, that we're just not throwing things out there willy-nilly. Right. And then is that something you have to continue education and, and do things along every year? All the time. Yeah. And you have to get recertified as a FABNO every 10 years, but in the meantime, you have to do so many continuing education credits in order to maintain that as well. Sure. And is there, like, in America, is there, like, a certain amount of people with FABNOs, like, the I, of the of that, you know, is it ten percent? Is it three percent? Um, I think that it's. My goodness, I think there was a total of maybe eighteen hundred to two thousand. Okay, maybe, okay. and I'm not even sure, but it's less than. I think it would be less than ten percent of all the naturopaths in the country. Wow, wow, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And then, what about talking about how? naturopathic medicine approach to, to cancer. This is going to be a you know loaded, big mm-hmm. question. Approach to cancer treatment is different from conventional medicine. Well, I first want to say that I think that sometimes we need conventional medicine. Yes. We, need, we need surgery. Yes. We need chemotherapy because chemotherapy does its job. We don't like the side effects from it, but it does its job. Um, and then, of course, sometimes we need radiation as well. But my approach, or a naturopathic approach, is to look at the whole person, you know, find out it's not just what cancer you have. You're not just your cancer. You're not just your chemotherapy. It's, you know, what are you eating? How are you feeling? How are you sleeping? You know, are you going to the bathroom on a regular basis? Do you have constipation or diarrhea? These are very important things because we need to think about the toxicity that's going on in the body, particularly when you're going through treatment. So it's... Looking at the whole person, also asking about anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. any other you know issues like that, because we want to keep the body as stress free as possible, right? But it's my forte, I think, is working with people going through the treatment, because as a fabno, my training in chemotherapy has been extensive, so I know the supplements that are safe with certain drugs and those that we can't use. Right. And that makes a big difference. And that's why I encourage people to please, if they're going to see a naturopath, see somebody who's been trained that way so you're not getting something that might go at cross-purposes with the drugs you're on. Which I consider myself very lucky to have found you. Because, I mean, that was my purpose to get to you was to have someone come alongside and help me, you know, protect me from the side effects. Right. And, you know, it, it was interesting how you and I were connected. I think my, yeah, it was my acupuncturist mm. put something on a, a board somewhere online, you know, and either you or someone responded and said, send them my way. And then that, so that's how I got connected with you. But again, I was looking for a naturopath that would be willing to, like you said, go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to talk about is, you know, what are some of the ways that as a naturopath that you work with 
traditional medicine, traditional oncologist. I mean, you brought up the supplements, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big one. Right. And you might even talk about what some of those supplements are sure. that are out there. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think later I'd really like to talk a little bit about you know low dose low dose naltrexone. Sure. You know a little bit too. Sure. But why don't you talk about a little bit about the supplements that are out there that. Oh, there's a lot of supplements. If you go online, you're going to see right. so many things. Right. And so I really encourage people that please talk to somebody who knows about what these supplements are. Because, I, for example, um, there was a woman that I saw at cancer treatment centers many years ago who came in with two shopping bags full of supplements that somebody had told her that that's what she needed. Right. And, then, and yet it also showed me the the power of marketing, the power of the supplements, and the power of the cancer fear. Yeah. Because when I took went through all the supplements with her, and I said, "You need these, all of these that took up like a bag and a half. You don't need." She immediately started to cry because she said, "What if one of those ones Worked. is going to keep my cancer away?" Right. And that was a big moment for me to realize that you really have to be able to explain to people why this is working, why this would work, why this doesn't, and why this would interfere with any chemo, and et cetera, et cetera. So there's, <clears throat> with, with the uh, supplements that I use, there are what I call um, my core four, which are uh, kind of B vitamins because we want the body. B vitamins help us handle stress. Yeah. There used to be an old vitamin called stress tabs, and all they were were the B the B vitamins. Mm-hmm. And so I use B vitamins when it's appropriate. I use fish oils or omega threes mm-hmm. almost all the time. Fish oils, believe it or not, are something that we can use with almost every cancer, and uh, in particular with hematologic cancers, leukemia, lymphoma, mm-hmm. myeloma. They are very safe, and they help the body fight that cancer. There's research out there saying that omega-3s are even helping with longevity. Absolutely. They're very anti-inflammatory. The DHA portion of the omega-3s helps feed the brain. Mm. The EPA helps us with cholesterol. It lowers inflammation, helps the hair, skin, and nails. So it does a lot. But as it's lowering the inflammation, it allows the immune system to be able to fight the cancer. Mm. And the so core four we had B vitamins omega threes vitamin D three mm-hmm. so important yeah you know we we must get up to a good level of vitamin yeah. D three I know that there are still people out there that say that the D's you know if you're in the if you're in the thirties you're good well I would respectfully disagree because we're finding more and more newly diagnosed cancer patients that have lower vitamin D. Some of them are actually low, like in the 20s or the teens, but some of them are you know, considered normal, very low normal, mm. and we're still getting diagnosed. We know that vitamin D3 is not just for the bones. It's not just the sunshine vitamin. It helps the immune system tremendously. Absolutely. And if we can get the level of D3 between 50 and 80, sometimes a little more, it's that's great for mm. a cancer patient, mm. uh, and we don't. And there's a lot of talk about the toxicity of vitamin D3. You can go over a hundred. The research shows us well over a hundred, one fifty, before we start having toxicity. Mm. Now everybody's different, sure, and so you have to always monitor that and keep track of the labs. Mm. The other thing I love to use, um, just as a basic, is magnesium. Yeah, magnesium at bedtime yeah. relaxes the muscles. If you're having any bowel issues, it helps the bowels move. 
you know, it helps you get into a deeper sleep. And yeah. so those are my core four. And then I, it, then it depends on the cancer and depends on the treatment. Sure. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, when I came and saw you, you know, we had some quite a bit of conversations about supplements and we talked about various things and still taking some of them today and actually probably most of them today. And then we did a couple of things outside of the, outside of that. Um, we looked at high dose vitamin C because mm-hmm. that was something, one of the reasons why I was seeking someone like you was to get access to that. And then also the naltrexone, low dose mm-hmm. naltrexone. The, um, I think the high dose vitamin C is something that's out there and it, it kind of frustrated me quite a bit during my journey that why aren't other people talking about this? Right. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And it just really, really, I think, challenged me. I think I learned so much during this journey of the, I don't want to say mishaps, but people aren't looking in the right direction. Right. And, and we can get into why that is. I don't want to, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking at something and, you know, versus you have these other things over here that could really help you. And it's, I think one thing I learned through this too is it was, I was doing a couple of things. I was looking at fighting the cancer, mm-hmm. minimizing the side effects. And then the other one was just my overall health. Right. Is how do I get my overall health better? Right. And, and then it got to a place now where I've got to that place and I'm so grateful for it. But then I'm also now, okay, okay, I'm here. Now, where do I go from here? Right. And again, it looks at longevity, looks at fighting other diseases. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my track is that was one. I learned a lot in this chapter. Now, how do I carry it through the next and the next and the right. next? But the high-dose vitamin C, I'm working with you on that. I mean, I we set it up so I had my immunotherapy mm-hmm. the, the week, and then the following week we did vitamin C. Right. And so every three weeks I was getting immunotherapy, and then the week after every three weeks getting the vitamin, vitamin C. C. Right. And I, it, it gave me that level of support, maybe more of a psychological effect than I knew. Mm-hmm. And as I kind of sit back and go back and look over, again, this last 18 months, there was a lot of that. that I believe it worked on me, but I also believe that the psychological side of it was very important. And I think that's what I want others to understand is when we do these various things, various treatments, the mental side of it is very important. Absolutely. You know, I met with someone this last weekend and he's going in, actually had surgery today mm-hmm. to remove a tumor on his neck. Okay. And he was so positive about his medical team. And I, I said, there's nothing I need to say. The fact that you have that opinion and you feel that you're you're more than halfway there exactly you know if you have that trust and i think that's what got to me was once i built the team around myself i had the trust exactly i go i have a team that i can go after anything you know and i and i was grateful for that because and i had all these various therapists and practitioners so i felt like whatever came my way i had the resources around me to fight it. Right. And I think that what you did was so important because when some people go through cancer therapies, they feel disempowered. They yeah. they're so powerless. They, you know, that 
oncologist tells them what to do or this person tells them what to do and they just go and they're doing it. But to be able to say, I've got a team. Mm-hmm. I've got my acupuncturist over here mm-hmm. that's going to help me. I've got the naturopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe I have a chiropractor. Yeah. Maybe I have a massage therapist. Right. And the fact that you're taking power over your own health means so much. And if we can do something to improve the uh, the hope, yeah. you know, one of my things that I loved about CTCA, unfortunately, they're no longer in business, mm-hmm. but one of the things I loved about them was their mission and their vision was all about hope. Yeah. We never take away, we never take that away. And that is, that word is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to see my oncologist, the second one, mm-hmm. not the first one, <laughs> um, she shook my hand mm-hmm. and she put her hand on my shoulder and she shook my wife's hand. Right. And just that, just that simple gesture gave me a glimpse of hope that she had compassion for me, that she was going to care for me, and I wasn't just a number. Right. And then you, similar, we went in your office, we talked, you know, it was very personal, it wasn't rushed. Again, you gave me hope. And, and I think the other thing is I, what I really enjoyed about working with you is that in some ways, we have a similar mindset and mm-hmm. how we wanted to go after this. And so it was really just like, to some degree, you you helped me support what I my ideas. Mm-hmm. You had some other ones to bring along, and then we were together able to execute. Mm-hmm. And I think that was um, extremely valuable. And I think that, again, hope is so important, whether it's cancer, this disease, this medical challenge, whatever we're going through. Right. You know, I think that's what the world's missing right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Hope. hope hope, and love. It all comes yeah. down to love. And yeah. Yeah. what I think that is important also when I see a new patient is that, you know, you've said it a couple of times that we had a conversation. And, you know, I had a new patient um, today. I'd seen seen her a week or so ago, and but we didn't get to finish because she was very emotional. She was very upset, very, uh, you know, scared about yeah. her diagnosis. And we just sat and talked, and yeah. we talked less about the diagnosis yeah. and more about how she was feeling. Yeah. You know, because my other, in addition to oncology, my other main thing is anxiety and depression and grief. Right. Which they kind of go, go hand in glove. Yes. Right? Yeah. And we just talked about that, and we talked about how she saw herself when she looked in the mirror, and we talked about how she felt about her family. And, mm. and when she came back today, she brought her husband. And the first thing she said to me is that you changed my life. And her husband looked at me and just said, you've changed everything that she's thinking. And that, and all I did was have a conversation. That's all I did is just listen to her and point out that not all is lost. Right. right. Yeah. And then, so with that, you have individual patients and you seem to then tailor the treatment plan per those individuals. Exactly. And it probably depends on the type of cancer, the stage of cancer. All of and it. And then just their overall health. and Absolutely. I mean, mental. even if I have you know five people with breast cancer, for example, mm-hmm. they're all going to be a little different. You know, it's, it's all about the diagnosis. You know, what kind of cancer mm-hmm. is it? What type? Or is it hormone positive, et cetera, et cetera? But then we have to tailor it based upon the chemotherapy if they're getting chemo, radiation, if they're getting radiation, um, I have protocols to help people prepare for and recover from surgeries, but everyone's different. 
And that's what made me become a naturopathic doctor is like, for example, when I get a cold, I might sneeze. When you get a cold, you could have a fever. Mm-hmm. We're both, everybody's different. Yeah, I get it for a day and someone gets it for a week. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's a matter of figuring out, you know, what what's that person's labs, but more importantly, what's their stresses? What are they eating? Nutrition is so important. You know, yeah. are they drinking enough water? You know, what are they doing to take care of themselves? Are they moving their bodies? My goodness, we have to move. We were never meant to be sedentary creatures. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've really changed um, over the years in terms of my movement. Mm-hmm. Um, walking is, is key for me. Um, I just, it's one of those things I, it's almost like medication. And, you know, Physical, yes, but I think the the biggest thing I get out of it, and I've talked about it several times, and I'm a big component of it, is the mental side of it. Absolutely, there's creativity um, that shows up in those moments. There's you know able to think through a lot of things, um, and just just the moment of just walking and just being in nature, and you know if I'm not listening to something, just listen to the birds, listen to you know the world. Exactly. And there's something about that just. That moment, I know that I have that hour, whatever that time is, it's mine, and I get to decide how it shows, you know, how I go through it, mm-hmm. literally. I'll ask people to to take a walking meditation, if you will, yeah. because you know, put your phone down. Don't think you have to do so many miles in a certain amount of time. Don't look at your steps. Just walk. Enjoy the weather. Listen yeah. to the birds. Walk in the grass. Go. You know, just enjoy that time because we forget how to do that. And it's something we can do for many, many years. Exactly. And so it's like, it's funny when I walk on the trail here, Mm -hmm. I'm one of the younger people on the trail, which, you know, doesn't say much, but (laughs) I am. And I I used to laugh about like, why isn't other people out here walking? And I'm really frustrated about this. Like, why aren't they out here walking? Mm -hmm. The, The older people are, they know it's good for them. So why isn't it being communicated down? And I don't understand that. And I don't, what's interesting to me is I feel like, you know, 50s, even 60s and below, people feel like you have to run. Right. Well, I need to run. No, you don't. No. I mean, and then people don't do it because, you know, for me and my knees, you know, if I, it's hard for me to run. So walking is, is something I can actually do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give me knee pain. I don't have any issues with my knee when I walk. And it strengthens my gait. I mean, all kinds of things it does. And it moves it moves the circul- circulatory system. It moves the lymphatic system. Yeah. And, you know, there was a great study. They took about, I want to say, around sixteen to 1,700 women. And with these women, they had stage 1, 2, or 3 breast cancers. And all they did was ask these women to please walk 30 minutes a day for five days a week. Okay. That's it. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes. That's yeah. nothing. That's nothing. And they followed them for a period of time. And what they found is the women who actually did the walking had a greater than 54, 5-4% reduction in any rate of reoccurrence of cancer, simply by walking. Wow. And there's, there's uh, research articles on exercise in almost every type of cancer. It's not just breast cancer, right? It. It, we all need to move. We were not meant to sit in front of a computer all day long, and we need to get our eyes away from the screens mm-hmm. so much of the time. Right. We need to just take the time to be. Yeah. And we forget. 
And it's nice that I, once I finished my treatment, I started getting my energy levels back and really noticing like, oh, wow, I have energy again. And then, okay, deciding, okay, now that you have energy, you need to change your exercise. And so that's when I went into the jumping rope with the heavy ropes and hitting the heavy bag, which we mm-hmm. talked about. Yes. <laughs> and it's been a tremendous therapy for me. And I say therapy because I think a big portion of it is for my mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that hitting that heavy bag with no repercussions, hit any way I want, as hard as I want, is so important for my mental state. It levels me out. I feel like I'm present more. And the the physical is just a byproduct. Right. And then now I'm adding stuff to that, more weights and things like that. And so it's just, again... I don't think I would be in that state if I hadn't gone through the journey I just went through. Right. You know, it's like you get that, you know, you hear it all the time. You get that second chance, whatever that looks like. I don't know if it's a second chance, but I'm going to take the, you know, the best advantage of it, the biggest advantage I can and do something. And I think that is also a way of creating hope. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if creating is the right word, but instilling hope because, you know, People say, if I get through this, I'm going to do something. But if you really get to do it, right? and, and that's the thing. I, a friend of mine told me his son went through um, some health issues when he was young. And he had fire in his belly when, when his son was sick mm-hmm. and kind of getting to the tail end. Right. And then it kind of over time, he's gotten better. And he said, I lost the fire. And so he that instilled into me he's like don't lose the fire Rob. right you know do it now whatever that is mm-hmm. do it now not three years not a year do it now do it now and i think that's been really important to uh, really keep me motivated um and i think uh, i think i explained to you too the other thing with the the jump rope and the bag was me psychologically still fighting the cancer of course because I, I once i was done with the immunotherapy I was like, kind of, as much as I wanted to be done with it, mm-hmm. there was this level of like feeling like, oh, this is protecting me or taking care of me. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and so when I was done, I was like, what do I do? Right. And that's what I hear over and over again. You know, I run a cancer remission group at the, at the medical center where I work. And the, the people, when they're done with therapy, the oncologists, and you know, and love them. You know, they do, they do their job, but... They're not designed to tell you what to do afterwards. They're just like, you know, go ahead and eat and do whatever and, and you're okay, you know. And that's, that's not true. People are wanting something to say, what can keep this away from me? What will make it not come back? And I wanted to say when you said, you know, instilling hope, I think it's more, you know, as children... We have hope every day mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. We're hoping, you know, we're hoping that Christmas is going to come tomorrow, even though it's June. Right. You know, we're we're hoping all these things. I think it's remembering hope. I think it's remembering who we are, rem- and remembering that we have this capability of hoping. And I think that that's so important. And as far as the uh, you and I had this conversation, but the heavy bag mm-hmm. and, and the ropes and everything, yeah. you know, I have a heavy yeah. bag yeah. and. Uh, I used to play um, softball, mm-hmm. and so for me, when when everything's too much, you know, my thing is 
go to the batting cage and mm. and beat beat the softballs until yeah. I'm tired yeah. or get to the heavy bag. And because I think that sometimes that's a good stress relief. And like you said, it's not hurting anybody. It's, you know, you have good arms when you're done from mm-hmm. working out, but you just get it out. And we forget to do that. And we go home and we're full of stress and we're full of frustration and we forget that we can let that go. Right. And when we were kids, we would run around and ride our bikes and do everything, and we could let it go. But we we forget it as adults. And I think I've had so many patients recently, and you and I haven't um, talked in a while, but I've had so many patients recently who have said the exact same thing. They come to me and they're like, the cancer has been a change for me. This is a change in my life, and this is a gift. I can't tell you how many people say it's been a gift yeah. because now they're remembering yeah. what they should be doing. Yeah, and that for me was a huge turn of events to, mm-hmm. to have those words and say those words. Right, you know that cancer was a gift mm-hmm. in so many ways. Oh, it's hard to say. It is hard to say, and mm-hmm. it's um, and I, I, it's hard for me to say because there's so many people suffering right with cancer. Right. And every day, the diagnosis of cancer just goes up and up and up. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people. Like every day, I hear another story, and I'm not even in that space. Right. I'm just in society and culture mm-hmm. and living our lives, and it's just overwhelming in that sense that this c world, c word that's out there, is overtaking us. Right, and I think that's the thing that. You know, I'm focusing on how I can help others get that hope, you know, because I felt like going through this, I learned a lot. But the biggest thing I want to do was how do I use this to help others? And that gave me a purpose. Right. Not just the hope, but it gave me a purpose. It wasn't like, oh, I hope this is okay and I hope I'm okay. It's no, there's where I'm going. Right. I have a purpose to help others. And so all that, the hope was just a piece of that, but then the purpose really drove me. Absolutely. And that's part of, um, there's a book called Radical Remission. And what Radical Remission really says is that out of the 10 key factors that Dr. Kelly Turner found of Radical Remission, only three of them are physical things that we can do. Mm. One of them was to radically change your diet. Yeah. One was to see somebody who could talk to you about supplements and, and all of that. And one was to exercise and to move your body. But everything else was about what's your purpose? What what do you have to live for? You know, looking at your stressors, forgiving yourself for things you have done in the past, forgiving others, you know, just enjoying the life that you have. And it's really incredible when I am able to talk about that with patients and just remind them that this is because the the diagnosis is all consuming, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's all you can think about. Yeah. And like you brought up the fear earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just can't get away from it. That's right. And especially the beginning, Mm -hmm. the front, when you first get it and you have really haven't talked to any team, you know, you, you have nothing. You have no protocol. You have no treatment right. plan. You don't know where you're going. And that part is just, it's very heavy. Very. And a lot of times the the news is not delivered to you in a way that's very kind, which I right. find disturbing at yeah. best. 
I, you know, I think that there's, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat the fact that some, you know, that somebody has cancer, but I think sometimes it could be uh, presented in a, a bit nicer way. Yeah, and then you're talking about treatment a little bit too. Is mm-hmm. you and I chatted about this a little bit. Is sure. the mental health side of treatment in terms of the treatment room, the treatment environment? Mm-hmm. We, you know, I I think that's truly so valuable. I think the one thing I was interesting. I've thought about this, and maybe you've seen this in some of your um, other stops. But how come in these treatment rooms with the chemo and immunotherapy, there's not like a a therapist in there just kind of circling and just having, like you said, having conversation mm-hmm. with these people saying, Hey, how are you doing today? You know, and if they really need to go deeper, they could maybe later go in another room and talk or next time they go into a private room and get their treatment and have that conversation. Is that being done? In some places? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I will tell you that, um, you know, unfortunately, the model is no longer being used. But when I was at CTCA, we did have people walking through the chemotherapy rooms. And, and the chemotherapy suites were very well put together. They were lovely. They didn't, they weren't ugly and, and you know, industrial looking. You know, there was private spaces for people who wanted privacy. There were some places where you could all get your IVs in a little group, and then, of course, this is pre-COVID, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, then people could share with one another, how are you doing, how are you feeling? Right. But there was always um, a therapist uh, around. Mm-hmm. Um, the naturopaths, we always went up to walk through the uh, chemo, the IV place, mm-hmm. just to check on people and how are they doing. And then there was also uh, pastoral care yeah. that walked around. Sure. And so I found that I was actually surprised when I went to a different hospital and saw that that's not how it was, mm. because I thought yeah, this is this is normal. This is normal. This right. is what we should all be doing. Makes sense, right? And you know, and then the um, like, I'm very proud um, at UCI the IV room that we have now. Yeah. The new IV room nice. is beautiful. Yeah. You're looking outside. I mean, it's. I could make some comments about what the architect did, but well, of course, of course, I could make lots of comments about the architect. But um, I think it's it's very lovely. Absolutely, it's not. um, But in some of the big, you know, chemo hospitals, when you've got the whole IV and people are getting their their IV chemo, it it could just be a little gentler, and and it could encourage a little, like you say, a little hope. It could encourage some some conversations between patients and sometimes you know I've seen patients who don't want to talk to anybody and that's yeah, okay that's, that's okay. their right yeah but then let's give them a private space right. and let other people who might need to talk I had one lady who would have her chemotherapy and then she was getting ready for radiation and she said that she ran around to all the people in the room that were going to get radiation next and said have you seen Dr. Colvard? She does this special thing for radiation. You know, you've got to follow this mm. protocol. And, you know, and she said she made so many friends just by talking to folks. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, like, I look at it, when it the first time I went to the treatment room, not at UCI, mm-hmm. um, I almost turned around and walked out. I mean, it was just, it was a gut punch for sure. I I wasn't prepared, let's put mm-hmm. it that way. I thought I was, but I wasn't. And I just looked at everyone. They looked half dead. Yes. And like, what? What am I? Where am I going? This is not where I want to go. Right. And and so it really hit me hard. So I had to learn 
for myself how to prepare to go into that every day. Right. So I bought the Bruce Lee T-shirt, <laughs> and that was my shirt I wore every time when I got infusion because it, you know there was things I just needed to do just to prepare myself to go in that. And you know I'm not a needle person, even though I do acupuncture all the time. Right. But those needles are huge for immunotherapy. And they, of course, remember they couldn't find my vein sometimes. Yeah, going on. But I look at from my background in design, we deal with guest experience. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned that. Yeah. And so I look at these treatment rooms. There should be plants. <laughs> yes. Natural light. I think even music, mm -hmm. some level of music. Right. You know, and then, like you said, someone going around talking and helping people, whether it's a psychiatrist, a life coach, something. Mm -hmm. somebody you know to give you know because again that one person might instill to one individual that one day some hope exactly and that again i'm going to go back to that hope is i think a key component to survival right and and getting through it and you know in an iv suite or an infusion center i should say there's going to be reasons where they can't have a lot of plants. They're going to, sure. but I think that there could be places for Well, they plants. could do treatments on the walls, they like could, fun treatments exactly, on the Exactly, they could do that. And There's all could, kinds of things they and, could do. And, you know, have something besides just television screens. They do it for kids. Right, exactly. I mean, why not do it for the adults? That's right. And especially in those, I mean, we're, we're not feeling good. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to be there. Right. And we're scared. Absolutely. So do something to help with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually even looking into, and I don't know how yet, and I'm bringing this up to you, mm -hmm. is how I could maybe help others in that space. I'm talking to them, you know, whether that's, you know, like I said, sitting with them while they're getting it mm -hmm. or, or just kind of, you know, as they go through their treatment, having conversations with them and helping them out, you know, because for me, I've, I didn't really, I had one person I met that actually had melanoma and had a couple of surgeries. But other than that, I didn't have anyone to talk to right. that had been going through cancer. That was challenging, even though I had all these other great resources around me. Mm -hmm. um, and even, even my family, it's hard to have some of those conversations. Right. You know, they, they don't want to talk to you because they're nervous of how you feel maybe, and, and then vice versa. And they don't know what to say sometimes. Right, they don't know what to say. Right. I'm nervous or scared to say how I really feel because mm -hmm. I don't want to scare them. Right. And so there's this weird thing right. where we're not really talking. Mm -hmm. And I think having someone else outside of that that they can just say, hey, right. I'm scared on my mind. You know, there's a lot of places that allow um, volunteers. You just uh, you have to check with the hospital, right. check with the infusion center, and then there's all the HIPAA laws. So you have to make sure that you go through and you know non-disclosure and sign and go through the HIPAA training and all of that. But I, if they don't have it at all the hospitals around here, they should. Yeah, <laughs> I know? agree. Because people need. I mean, that's what I love about my cancer group is that we have you know no more than ten people in a room. Uh, and every week we talk about a new topic, whether it's nutrition or supplements, et cetera. But we have an hour long where we're checking in with everybody and the bonding that happens yeah. and people saying, well, you know, 
this and this happened to me. Well, I tried this, and this helped that symptom. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh. And then they come back the next week, and they're like, you're right, that was good. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing is so important, because the shared experience yes. means so much. Yeah, and the, the good and the bad, right. right? They go through the bad together, they go through the good together. Exactly. And you know that's important in all of our facets of our life. Mm-hmm. You know, We're not meant to go through this world alone. No, we are not hermits. No. <laughs> What there's probably, and I've heard some, mm-hmm. but I'd like to hear your comment on this is some common misconceptions that people have about the naturopathic approach. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. a, that, that's a whole nother podcast, I think. I know. But uh, I think a lot of folks think that we're not we're not real doctors. Well, and I can tell you that there are people, uh, and there are particular states in the U.S where people are allowed to call themselves a naturopath without going to medical school. They mm-hmm. go to an online degree somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I very, probably not very kindly, call them undies instead of NDs mm-hmm. because they haven't gone through a medical school. They haven't gone through training. Um, not, not everyone, to be you know, full disclosure, that goes through a naturopathic school uh, goes through a residency program because there's simply not enough residencies to go around mm-hmm. from the schools. Mm-hmm. But... We, the majority of people I know, and particularly the Fabnos that I know, we have gone through a lot of training and being mentored or studying. Like my first year at CTCA, I shadowed people and I asked questions and I learned and I had to, you know, I did a lot of work on what are the major chemos and what's this and what's that and how does that work? Mm. And, you know, there was just a lot of training in that after I had already graduated. But I do encourage um, people who are looking for a naturopath, ask your naturopath where they graduated, number one, and then ask them where they hold their license. Only a licensed naturopath is allowed to say I'm licensed in such and such. You know, if it's a somebody who's only doing done an online school, they might say I'm a practitioner of naturopathy. That's a big mm. uh, that's a big clue. Is mm. if they say I do naturopathy, well, where did you go to school and where are you licensed? Um, you know, it's I think, and I want to be you know I want to be kind. I think that there are some really good people out there yeah. that are herbalists. There are really good people that do homeopathic yeah. remedies. Um, they really care. But I think a patient needs to be careful yeah. with who they're getting all their information yeah. from. Yeah, there's there's a lane they need to be in. Right. And you need to understand what lane you need to go in to find that practitioner. Right. right. And so, I think there's there's value for all those lanes, but you need to understand where you need to be. Right. Like you said, there there could be someone herbalist that, that there is value to that. Mm-hmm. And but is that the all you know, is that all the value is it just you know, again they, they need to stay in their lane and that's what I've I've enjoyed again working with the various practitioners what I consider on the natural east eastern medicine mm-hmm. side and I've talked about this in the past is they understand the lane that they're supposed to be in right that's it and if they they don't try to go oh I can help you with that they say oh you should go see so and so and here's their number. And so they really, I, I don't think they realize it either, that they're really a good tight network and helping each other. They support each other. I don't know that that is in the Western side in, in terms of you know that side of things. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I've experienced it. And I think it's really powerful 
that they understand, these practitioners, what lane they're in. Right. And yeah. they don't try to go outside of it. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's what I love about a lot of the you know, naturopathic doctors and other practitioners is that when I'm, for example, I'm not an expert in Lyme disease, I'm not an expert in mold toxicity, but I know the people that are, and I will send you there because that's what they do all day, every day. The other thing when you ask about misconceptions, I really wanted to mention this, is that one of the big misconceptions, particularly from some in the medical community, is that we're just doing things, you know, willy-nilly and we're just throwing things out there. Everything I do and everything every Fabno does that I know is evidence-based. We look at the research. I don't just say take curcumin for this or that or the other I want to make sure curcumin is appropriate. And what did the research say about it with this particular chemotherapy or even after chemo's over? You know, these are the things that we, we do look at the research. We're not just sitting here, you know, pulling herbs right. out of the air. Right. No, and, I, and that's something, too, even working with you, we, we always talked about where the research was coming from mm -hmm. and what it meant. And I think that's, again, important. It, it helps, I think, the patient on the other side go, you know, again, feel confident with the information. Right. It's not just you should just listen to what I'm saying because of the, the sign on the door. <laughs> and I think, again, helping us educate us, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's important, too, is that I feel the medical care should be educating the patients more of what's out there, what's available. You know, they, they, there's some basic things they always talk about. You brought them up, diet. Mm -hmm. Sleep, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> right. It's funny is I the more I'm learning about sleep, it's the most important thing. Absolutely. Why aren't we talking about? We it? heal when we sleep. Yeah. I I saw this. I said to my wife about this. Is that's one thing I'm going to teach my son is how important sleep is. Right. I no one taught me that. I mean, just in general, culturally, we you know it was like how late can you stay up. You know, how many all-nighters can you pull? Right, it's all about the all-nighters. You know, it was about, you know, production, mm -hmm. right? And not about your health and your, you know, well-being. Right. And realizing, wow, sleep's really important. Luckily, I like sleep. <laughs> so it wasn't hard for me. And I felt like I already had a good protocol of sleep. I've changed a little bit of it. And a lot of it's how I prepare to go to sleep and how I wake up. Mm -hmm. It's the bookends. Right. And even this in the between, I've done some things. Like I'm, I do mouth tape, so I tape my mouth closed every night, so I breathe through my nose only. I, ha I have some, but I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use that. <laughs> honestly, it's I did it, and I, it's I, it's hard for me to sleep without it. Really? Now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but I again, I feel I wake up less groggy mm -hmm. because of it. Obviously, I, you know, it's healthier for us in terms of breathing through our nose mm -hmm. and getting filtered. And, you know, of course, mouth breathing, as everyone knows, it's not good for us. Right. And so and I think that doing that has also changed how I breathe during the day. Mm -hmm. You know, and then working with people with breath work and slowing our breath down. It slows your breath down when you breathe through your nose only. So all these things. But, again, learning how valuable sleep is and creating bookends has really helped me. Mm -hmm. And I probably take 30-plus minutes a night. Is a preparation of sleep, right? A, a protocol that I go through, and I don't like to miss it. 
And I think it's really important. It really just prepares myself both mentally and physically. Um, get rid of the the day because, mm-hmm. as you know, the hardest part of the day for me to go sleep is shutting the mind off. Right. And I've been able to do that through this protocol, which has been very helpful. And I just, again, I get better sleep and just everything else is golden after that. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's so important. And I do a lot of work with people and just trying to get them to sleep through the night. And, you know, are they waking? Are they waking afraid? Are they startling awake? Are they having nightmares? You know, these are the, these are the things that we talk about. And what can we do, you know, while they're working on what we call sleep hygiene, what you've, you know, discovered that works for you. Right. But there are supplements that, that I use to help folks just kind of sure. stop that mental chatter. Yeah. You know, let's just let our mind relax. And and then the the hardest thing, of course, is to get away from the screens when we sure. go to bed. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, and... and and then even when we wake up, mm-hmm. not going to the screen right away, and it's you know both those bookends is how do we how do we deal with that and how we look at that, and then I we brought up how there's so much cancer out there right yes. now. Yes, and is there something in your this is your opinion? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna ask a couple questions in one. One is. What diagnosis of cancer are you seeing the most of out there? Mm. To are you do you feel like there's something in our world, in our environment, that is one of the bigger culprits of this? And then I think that's it. I, want, I have others, <laughs> but I'm, I want to start with those for now. Okay. Um, let's see. The most cancer I'm seeing, well, because I do spend one day a week um, at the UCI Breast Center, Mm. I am seeing a lot of breast cancers. But to be honest, what I'm really marveling at recently is two things. One is the amount of rare cancers I'm starting to see. Okay. Like really rare, like a pulmonary sarcoma. You you don't see that. Mm. Sarcomas don't usually attack a pulmonary artery. Mm. Um, And then some pretty rare lymphomas and leukemias. Um, and then younger people, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask younger you. and yeah. younger people are getting colon cancer. Mm. And I can tell you that in my opinion, that this is in large part, it's not the only reason, but it's called the standard American diet, yeah. which spells sad. Mm-hmm. We have to start getting back to eating whole foods. foods. I don't mean, you know, and I mean real food. You know, cook it, go buy it. Don't, you know, if you go down the aisle of the grocery store and it has an expiration date three years from now, that's not food. Yeah. That's not food. Yeah. You know, I distinctly remember working with my my great uncle and my grandma and when they were canning foods, that's how we kept foods fresh. And then you knew what to do if you pulled out one of the canned things. If it didn't look right, you threw it away. Right. Right? Because... Yeah. You, you want real food. Right. Yeah, I'm grateful. I, my wife is, um, you know, she has brought that into our house, mm-hmm. and she's a big component of that, and I just kind of went along with it. And then now I'm like, thank you. Yes. And even to the point where we're going even farther in that space, you know, right. more where we source our food, mm-hmm. you know, paying attention to that. Absolutely. Um, we have some options to to really get some 
you know, what I consider good sourced food. Good. Uh, unfortunately, it costs more. Of course. And that's the challenge well, out there is that the, the, the food that is sourced well and the food we should be eating costs a lot more money. Right. And, and I, I don't like that. No, and neither do I. But I, what I want to say, I, I think the best advice I ever got was years ago in school, uh, one of the older docs who had been doing this forever um, just said that, you know, there are things that we should buy. We should buy, you know, we should look at the dirty dozen and the clean 15 for our fruits and vegetables. Um, we should buy wild-caught fish, not farm-raised. Yeah. We should look at grass-fed, grass-finished beef if we right. eat beef. Yeah. You know, free-range chicken, everything antibiotic-free. However, if you're in a place that you can't afford that, then what you do is very simple because it goes back to the whole idea of the mental, emotional, and the spiritual, and the hope is that you take your food and you wash it, you know, or rinse it off, depending on what it mm-hmm. is, and then you cook it and you bless it. Mm. And you say, this is for the good of my body. Mm. And that's the best you can do. Mm. And that's, I mean, is that the right answer? I mean, I wish that more real food was available to the masses, but at least it's a step in the right direction, right? Right. right. So not fake meat. Not no, not fake meat. Right. Not genetically modified whatever, right? Yeah, and I've even been looking at. I've been eating. We've been eating more game. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's boar, um, bison, mm-hmm. and and then venison. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I want to get to a place where I can actually, you know, go out and hunt for my food, and you know, even fish. You mm-hmm. know, I think that. To me, is go to Alaska, you know, with some guys, and you know, bring a bunch of fish home right. that we can eat over the year. Get the real wild caught salmon, right? Yeah, right. And I think there's just there's that, and then just how we eat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously sugar is a big no no, but yeah. you know, I'm not perfect at that, and it's something I'm really trying to change. Right. Um, you know, not realizing how affected we are by sugar in our society. Even with my son, I'm working with him. It's like I don't want to get into a place where it's hard for him not to have sugar. Sure. You know, it's a treat. Mm-hmm. It's something we do every once in a while, but it's not something we consume all the time. Well, and we know we know that sugar is addictive. Yeah. Sugar is highly addictive. Yeah. So if we're eating some, we're going to want more. Um, but the, on the other hand, we're human beings. And we want to do celebrations, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and then the holidays. So there was something that I was taught a long time ago is that, you know, if you want something sweet, if you want a cookie, and I have have so many cancer patients just like, well, I I just have the cookie. I was so bad. Like, don't say that. You know, if you're eating something and you're being like, oh, I'm so bad. I hope nobody sees me do this. That's such a negative energy. So eat a cookie. Don't eat the bag. (laughs) Just eat your cookie. And when you're eating it, think, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. I'm so grateful I've got this cookie. And then there we go. Now, the hard part is not to eat another one, but I think it's possible. (laughs) Yeah, right. What what are probably your biggest challenges of a naturopath oncologist that you feel like you face, whether that's collaborating with other oncologists or just... You know, just in general, as a naturopath. I, I think it's, um, as you said earlier, it's a misconception yeah. about who I am and what I do. Right. 
and that I'm not a quack. I, I, I've been to school. <laughs> you know, I went to four years just like every other doctor. Um, and then the training afterwards. Uh, but another challenge that I still find, um, which can be frustrating at times, to be perfectly frank, is the the lack of openness of certain doctors to understand what it is I'm doing. Right. The the misinformation, which is unfortunate, that and it's not. I'm not going to say it's their fault. I, I I don't think it's willful willful ignorance or you know whatever, but still telling patients things that aren't true anymore because I don't know maybe they haven't kept up I don't I don't know but I, there's still some doctors that are telling female patients don't eat soy it will give you cancer mm. which is totally the opposite soy as a phytoestrogen is actually protective in any hormone positive cancer but they're they're I mean it's just and then you know the the basic frustration of wanting to talk to perhaps an oncologist or another doc, and they don't want to talk to you because they don't think that you're right. a real person. Right. And that's and it's sad. It is. But I also can say that the longer I do this and the more I work with oncologists, more and more people are referring people to me because they see that people are feeling better. By doing what I tell them, what I ask them to do, recommend them to do. It's not the same, but kind of similar. Is I felt like when I was going through the treatments, and I brought out this. You know, remember this one I shared with you? Oh yes, absolutely. Yes. And they kind of went, "Yeah, okay." You know, and even as I would meet with them, I talk to them, and oh, what are you doing? I'm doing the sauna. I'm doing a cold plunge. I'm doing this. I'm fasting. You know, going and on. Oh yeah, yeah. Then towards the end, when I'm almost done, they realize, wait a minute, this actually might be working. And then they asked more questions mm-hmm. and then even told other people. Right. And that was, I don't know what the right, what the word is for that. I mean, interesting or, you know, surprised mm-hmm. that, oh, they actually went, oh, you know, what what's going on? Why, what are you doing? Right. And I think that was important. I think it gave me hope mm-hmm. that, oh, maybe they're willing to learn. Right. And even some of the nurses would ask me questions. And it was like, they actually are wanting to learn yes. something. Not that they weren't learning. They were learning something different from a patient. Mm-hmm. And I even helped one of the nurses. Her boyfriend was going through some something, mm-hmm. and I was able to give some, you know, information of another doctor or right. practitioner I was working with, so that he could get help. Right. That's because we talked. Mm-hmm. And if she hadn't asked questions or talked to me, he might not have got that resource. Exactly. So back to your point of talking mm-hmm. with these other doctors, it's critical. Absolutely. And it's it's unfortunate. I think it's. You know, egos get in the way. I think that's one. I think you're right. There's people that just don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're not hearing. Right. And they don't realize that they're, you know, just totally putting their hand out and not right. allowing the people, other people to come in and have that conversation. Right. But, you know, I used to get very upset and think that it's yeah. just like it was us and them. Right. And it's not. Because when I do stop and think about it, you know, they had their training, really good training for what they do. 
But they didn't learn about nutrition. They didn't learn about all of the things that you and I have talked about today. And they're being asked to see a patient every 10, 15 minutes. And how do you keep track? How do you keep up? How, how do you absorb, you know? So I, I have a lot more empathy now than I used to. Right. You know, I was just like, okay, they don't know, so maybe one day I'll have a chance to talk with them. You know, it was beautiful, again, going back to CTCA, that I worked alongside the medical oncologist and the radiation oncologist and the nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. They would, the medical oncologist would actually come to my room, knock on the door, give me the patient's chart and say, your turn. You know, what, go, mm-hmm. I think he would say something like, go do your magic, go, mm-hmm. go do your thing, mm-hmm. make sure they stay well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's how we worked together. And it mm-hmm. was great. Mm-hmm. You know, that was perfect because then, then I would hand off to the, to the dietitian, and we had already talked about what nutrition we wanted them to do. It was, it was really, it was a great model. I'm sorry that it didn't uh, continue in the right. way that it was, but right. it was a really good model. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and you know, hopefully someday we'll see it again. Right. You know, and hopefully near near future for sure. And then in terms of the naturopath oncology side of things, you know, you do a lot of research, you look at a lot of things. What excites you about the future of this space? You know, that's a good one. I think that the more doctors that are actually recognizing what we do mm-hmm. that's exciting yeah um i also quite frankly from a medical oncology point of view i'm very excited about some of the new immunotherapies yeah. i'm really excited about the targeted therapies yes. because i think that that's going in the right direction instead of just flooding the body with a bunch of chemo that's killing good cells along with the bad we are learning how to target those cancer cells. And then I think that as far as I'm concerned, as a naturopath, we are, you know, more research every day that's giving us ideas about, oh, well, this supplement does this, and this seems to be synergistic with this drug, so maybe we can help it work even better, mm. you know? And and I am still love the fact that I can work with patients with basic chemotherapy and keep their blood counts up. That's one of the things that I feel very strongly about. Like so many people aren't able to get their chemo because their white blood cell count has gone down so low or their platelet count has gone down so low. Those little simple things that we have learned and that I have learned over the years that can help people keep their counts up so they can finish their chemo. Right. And they could be like you and they can say, I'm ringing the bell, I'm right. done with everything. Right. Right? Yeah. And that's... That's so important to me, but I'm I'm really excited about the future of these new therapies that are coming out, mm-hmm. and you know, and I'm excited that we're doing some more research in things like mistletoe. Johns Hopkins yeah. doing you know a phase two clinical trial. Uh, oh, okay. As far as I know, it's still on a phase two clinical trial of mistletoe, yeah. and they're specifically working on prostate cancer, but. The, the implications are incredible. Well, that's great. You know, and then all of the research has been done on low-dose naltrexone, which you had talked about earlier. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, it's an anti-inflammatory. It's an anti-cancer. We can use it. Um, there's a doctor at UCI that uses it. Um, she's a pain management doctor, so she uses it almost exclusively with all of her patients for, mm. for pain management because mm. it works so well. Mm. And then we know that in certain cancers... 
it has been seen to reduce tumor burden by up mm-hmm. to 30%. Mm-hmm. And it, naltrexone has been around forever. And a lot of people recognize naltrexone as the drug that's used for opioid overdoses. It's used to block. It's used to block the yeah. opioids. Yeah. And but what they discovered, and there's a really good website if anybody wants to go to it. It's the LDNResearchTrust.org. Yeah. Um, that they've done a ton of research on LDN. So starting at a very low dose, starting at either one milligram or one point five milligrams, and then working up to usually usually no more than 4.5 milligrams, we have seen it help people sleep, reduce aches and pains, reduce inflammation. I even use it with some of my autoimmune patients to lower autoimmune antibodies. Yeah. Um, Well, I think the interesting part, too, is very low side effects. Yes. And I think that's what I, for me, was, okay, there's very low side effects, so the upside is pretty good. And And it does not interfere with any of the other drugs. So there's no contraindications. And the only side effect, and I'll be frank, the only side effect that I know of is that some people who take it at bedtime wake up in the middle of the night. Right. And some people can have some weird dreams. Yeah. And it usually dissipates after a it few does. weeks. I remember just a little off when mm-hmm. I first started taking it. And right. you and I talked about mm-hmm. what maybe you should take in the morning or right. at night. And mm-hmm. I ended up just still taking it at night. And it, yeah, eventually it just kind of right. went away. I know the issues. And it's a, a very reasonable price drug. Very reasonable price. Yes. I mean, I think I would get three months for $40 right. or something. Exactly. I mean, it was. It, it's certainly different than some of the other um, alternative yeah. therapies out there. True. And, and why? So when I just, I remember I actually brought you uh, something I printed about now, Trexon, mm-hmm. the first time I met you, and I pulled it out and you said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and. I remember you were able to diet, you were able to give me a prescription for it. Right. Mm-hmm. I let my oncologist know because I want, you know, again, I was being of you course. Know, transparent. This is what's happening. Are you good with it? She said, I'm good, but I can't prescribe it for you. Why is that? You know I, that? you know, that's a really good question. Okay. I know docs that have Do. no problem okay. prescribing it. Okay. Um, Perhaps it's because they don't think that's in their lane. Yeah, you know, that's perhaps, fine. You know, yeah, uh, but uh, but I prescribe it all the time. Yeah, and I think for me again, it was an, I I share with a lot of people mm-hmm. because I think there's something there. I I just look at the fact that there's this drug out there that no one's talking about, and then that research website that you mentioned just mm-hmm. now. There's so much data. I was just on it the other day mm-hmm. looking at new stuff. Right, and I'm probably going to go in it again because I just want to. It's just. It looks like it has a lot of powerful opportunity. Yes. And it's not being used. Right. And Just we like have, a lot of stuff. Right. And when we, I, I haven't even, I think, touched my pinky toe into the waters of LDN to know everything that it does. Right. I mean, you know, I, there's, there's so much. Right. And, um, and I think getting that information out there, helping people understand mm-hmm. what's out there and you know that it even exists. Right. And then we brought up the vitamin C earlier. Mm-hmm. And why do you think the vitamin C is so important? Like, what do you see the how it helps the patients? And well, it, it, you know, I mean, without, I have some without yeah, without going into a whole lot of detail, I think part of it is what you mentioned earlier: is that giving the patient the power to be doing something for themselves. Number one, but the way that I use the vitamin C uh, is that. 
we start off with a low dose of well, low dose meaning 10 grams, which is mm -hmm. 10,000 milligrams, mm -hmm. which is a lot, um, with some vitamins and minerals, mm -hmm. and then we'll move up to the next next level with vitamins, minerals, and amino acids because we're building up the body. And when we do vitamins and minerals via an IV, we're bypassing the GI tract. And so we don't have to worry about any malabsorption of a B vitamin or anything because we're going right to the vein, mm. right? And we do it, you know, we t see your tolerance. And there's always, before we do any vitamin C infusion, we always run a test yeah. to make sure that your body can handle it. It's called a G6PD test. I remember that. Right? And then we can move up to 50, mm -hmm. 50 grams mm -hmm. of uh, vitamin C. And it at that point, once you get past a certain level, like 10, 15 grams-ish, it stops being an antioxidant and it becomes a pro-oxidant. And a pro-oxidant is what kills cancer cells. Mm. That's what a chemotherapy is. It's a pro-oxidant. Mm. So there's a lot of talk out there about you shouldn't use antioxidants when you're on chemotherapy. There's, there's re evidence to say that's not necessarily always the case. Um, but IV vitamin C at higher doses has been used to help um, it helps kill cancer cells as well. And yeah. I know that's a that's a pretty dramatic statement to make, yeah. but it's true. I mean, I've heard cases of it, mm -hmm. you know, that they've treated cancer only with that. Right. And, uh, you know, like anything, it's based on the individual and, right. you know, what they were diagnosed with right. and on and on. But I've heard that. And then th the challenge I have is it's hard to find. Yes. And it's getting harder. Right. And I think that's their thing. Because I, I'm a believer of it is we should all be looking at getting high-dose vitamin C, mm -hmm. even if you don't have cancer. It doesn't there, hurt us. There, there's, there are reasons to do it, whether it's chronic disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, Lyme disease, you name it. I mean, is it also a way of building our immune system? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean I Any of that is going to help the right. immune system. And so I think that it doesn't hurt. I mean, every now and then I take myself in to get what's called a Myers cocktail, yeah. which is basically yeah. vitamin C with a bunch of B vitamins yeah. and some electrolytes, yeah. right? Just because. And you I feel like, better. Yeah, I liked it because it was like, for me, it was a, yes, it was to work with my cancer, but also I looked at it as it was a, a way of creating a force field and, you know, armor around me with vitamin right. C. Right. You know, and I couldn't get sick, you know, limited me getting sick. Right. And I just, you know, the, the challenge of finding, um, any IVC in a reputable place, uh, it's it's getting greater because people, it's become a thing. You can go into an IV bar and get a hangover remedy and you can right. do all these things, but a lot of the places don't necessarily um, put together a bag uh, appropriately. You know, right. there has to be a sterile procedure and it has to be done correctly. So I usually, if somebody's looking somewhere around where they live, I look, the first thing I do is look for the naturopaths or some of the functional medicine doctors to, to see who's doing it and to make sure that it's safe. And they've got a hood so they can mix things appropriately, that they're doing things the right way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all good stuff. And I, I really, really appreciate your work. Thank you. I appreciate that you've put the time and research into what you're doing. And I, on top of that, just your 
demeanor towards the patient. It's, um, like I said earlier, it's so valuable to the patient. And I, it was something I needed and I knew I needed it. And so when I met you, it was, you know, really important to me and to my journey. And I'm going to get emotional here, but that's okay because it's important. Mm -hmm. Um, What you do and how you help people, it, I wish there was more of you. Um, I hope some other people hear this and realize the value of that. And I also, I think too, just under helping people understand that there are doctors and practitioners out there like this. Right. So seek them. Mm-hmm. If you don't like your doctor, you don't like who you're working with, go get a new one. Right. There's other ones. Yeah. Sometimes you're limited in where we are geographically. And that's, that's another challenge, but somewhere like Southern California, there's no shortage of doctors. No, there's not. They're everywhere. So find one that you want to work with. And that was important to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted an oncologist that was okay with me working with a naturopath. And I wanted a naturopath okay with me working with an oncologist. And I wanted us to hold hands together Mm -hmm. and walk this journey. And I, again, was very lucky lucky and blessed to have that. And it it just made everything more more sense. Mm -hmm. Because if an oncologist said this, I could ask them why. And they could give me a response. And then I could ask you and maybe at the same response or a different response Mm -hmm. and then be able to look at it and go either it made sense or they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) But, but the idea is that I had resources to talk to. Right. And you were available. And I think that's another thing too, is having your doctor available. Right. Not just, I have to have an appointment. I think it's crazy how, Certain doctors today, they're so busy, you can't get into them for six months. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in that six-month time? I'm waiting. Exactly. You know, and so, again, you were available outside of an office visit. Mm-hmm. I think that's important, too, and I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I hope that us working together and even having this conversation is going to give others hope. Mm-hmm. I hope it's going to give others the willingness to, to seek. I think that's right. the other thing is the ability to seek what's out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really why this platform is so important to me because I want others to, to know what's out there. Right. At least go, oh, there's something different. Doesn't mean they have to do this and do this specifically, but at least they go, huh, I wonder what's out there. Well, it's nice to know you have options. Yeah. yeah always. Like you said, it's not a one-fit-all mm-hmm. for every patient. Right. And I, that's how I felt in the beginning when I was diagnosed. It was like... They were putting me on the cancer train. Right. And it was like, it's going to Sacramento whether I wanted to go or not. <laughs> right. You know, I want to go to, you know, Monterey. Right. And it's taking me to Sacramento. Sure. And I think that was really, it, it was hard, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that fed into the fear because why am I being treated? Like, I think the other challenge I had is they kept saying, they kept mixing up their words. They right. would say chemo, even though it was immunotherapy. Right. And I remember saying like, why do you keep saying chemo? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like an interchangeable word. Right. Yeah, it's like hamburger. Mm-hmm. It's not McDonald's. It's not in and out It's just a hamburger. It's just a hamburger. Right. So that was tough for me because I kept hearing, I go, wait a minute, am I doing chemo? Mm-hmm. And um, so, it, again, having that availability, having the team is really important. And, again, I really appreciate your work, and thank you for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. And I just – I will give you some information, like um, – 
the website yeah, for other absolutely. other Fabnos across the country yeah. if people want to do that or how to get in touch with me or any yeah, of that. We'll put it in the description of the podcast for sure. Okay. All right. Thank Perfect. you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to this ride and encourage you to come along. Hold on.